Welcome to You Should Read This uh, with Tom van der Luba and myself, Rich Dathton. Uh, we've got a, a new book for you, and I'm going to let Tom explain. <laughs> so for those listening, uh, Tom's just held up Humanocracy, uh, Creating Organizations as Amazing as the People Inside Them by Gary Hamill and Michelle Zanini. Yes. Okay, I will um, do a short introduction uh, why we do this book today. Uh, there are numerous um, reasons for that. Um, the book by Gary Hamill and Michelle Zanini is uh, really interesting because it, it covers a lot of topics. We'll come to that uh, afterwards. Um, perhaps as a starting point, uh, it's about avoiding bureaucracy. And Gary Hamill wrote in the past an important uh, and famous article uh, about bureaucracy and is very active in this, um, in this space. Um, so perhaps we can we can also put this article uh, in the in the show notes for those uh, interested, and it's about to to build more human organizations. Um, there are some really great uh, interesting examples, especially also very very big uh, companies. Because the question always is, can we create more humane organizations on on a, on a bigger scale, not very small companies? Um, personal uh, remark. Uh, I know a little bit Michel Zanini, uh, less Gary Hamill, um, because they are active in the space of um, Haya, the Chinese market leader uh, on white goods. And Haya is very active in this whole space of what they call micro companies. We'll come back uh, to that later. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've spoken myself uh, at the Haya conference about designing an organization which is very simple it's about less is more and the reason uh, i was i was invited there was to show that if you install a kind of organizational design in the beginning which is very easy to scale afterwards um uh, uh, that is also that is also very useful if you know from the start that you want to build a very uh, a big big organization so it's about how do you avoid uh, bureaucracy? And um, the second remark on uh, Michel Zanini is that um, I had a longer phone call uh, about the book. Uh, and what I like about uh, the book, and it also has a little bit to do with Michel's background, is that this is a book which covers a, a very broad uh, overview. It also has political examples, philosoph uh, philosophical examples, etc. And that has to do with uh, Michel Zanini's background as well. Um, he has, for instance, studied at Harvard Kennedy School of Government. So there are a lot of institutional examples. It's not only about uh, business or, or uh, what are the best companies and Forbes list, etc. He covers a, a, a very bright scope. Um, and that makes the book, to my point of view, a very, very interesting and very broad. And uh, there are some really bold statements uh, in this book, which in, is in a diplomatic American context. Uh, uh, interesting because uh, often that's not the case. They try to stay very polite, and sometimes they are very rather bold statements, which are really nice uh, to read. So this as a short introduction Especially for a Dutchman who likes to hear it straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, you, you know the you know the quote: the 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 Dutch are too honest to be decent, and the English are too decent to be honest. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
Uh, no, that, they, they can quite imagine you appreciated his frankness. And there were some laugh out loud moments in, in this book, which you don't get often from business books. Um, he's almost, I don't know if that's Gary or Michelle. I suspect it's Gary who, you know, put some good, uh, yeah, very bold statements in there. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so what can we, you know, what can we say about this? Um, I mean, I, I just before we get into this, and this is a great book, and I'm, I'm enjoy, looking forward to getting into it, there's a little part of me that thinks like, odd. Oh, are we still having to write these books? Like it, it's kind of the same book at some level mm-hmm. as the book that Ricardo Semler wrote in 1988, yeah. Maverick, talking about like roughly the same philosophy, right? Like optimized for like human potential, individuals, human potential. Um, and you get all these, all of these extraordinary benefits. And yet it's, it's a lesson that, you know, we just haven't absorbed as a society yet, right? I mean, no matter how many examples, the, the, the cynic in me is like, no matter how many examples of, of great companies who are doing this, um, we're still unable to sort of tip the paradigm, you know, tip consciousness over into this way of doing things. Yeah. Perhaps it makes sense just for the listeners uh, to give a kind of structure or overview of the structure of the book, because then it's easier to follow. Uh, what we're talking about. So there's um, there's this, the, the the starting point where they explain this whole, uh, let's say, uh, cost of bu- uh, bureaucracy. I just referred to this article of Gary Hamel. Then there's the second part, which is about companies which uh, which are bureaucracy free. Uh, Nucor and Higher as an example, but also uh, Buurtzorg. Um, and then, and then it's about yeah, how how do you how do you implement this, or what what kind of principles? Um, uh, what's the DNA of a uh, human-centric organization? That's the third part, which is the third part is more or less uh, half of the book, I would say, or a third of the book. And then then there's part four, four where they say, okay, how do we get there? So how do we then transform towards those principles? Yeah. Um, using Michelin, right? The, the tire manufacturing example, yeah. which I, I, yeah. I hadn't heard their story before. So that's a first for anybody who's sort of steeped in this literature and have heard the Burt Songs and the Hires before. You know, uh, Michelle seems to be a, a new actor on the stage here, which is refreshing to, to read another story. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, and I, I don't, where, where do we start with this? So, so I mean, I think uh, well, one of the things I, I, right off the top, um, which I really appreciated, was him bringing out this, this statistic, which many of us now know, that you know, 80% of, of employees are disengaged or actively disengaged. And yet, and this is something I didn't know, 89% of people are very satisfied or somewhat satisfied with their day-to-day activities. And I think this goes a long way to explaining why we're in the situation that we're at. And I think that that is that humans are very adaptive. And so we do find ways to derive satisfaction from our daily lives, even if we're in a sclerotic, you know, soul deadening bureaucracy. As, as humans, we, we just have this incredible pack, you know, ability to make the best of it, right? Um, even when we, do, we don't care about the, the company or its mission and we don't like our boss, you know, we find a way through the day. And I think that is one of the reasons perhaps why we haven't seen a big paradigmatic shift in 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 how businesses operate i don't know if you picked up on that yeah that's right um perhaps i just thinking to 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 cover this um, uh, bureaucracy topic uh, and then perhaps we dive uh, next then into these examples of nucor and higher and so you already can uh, think about what what your takes away um, on, on on these companies are 
I would like to do a remark on, on bureaucracy uh, because uh, Max Weber, which I uh, like a lot, uh, is, is put in a kind of um, uh, yeah, by, 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 by a quote he, 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 uh, he takes from, from Max Weber. I think, I think uh, that's, that's not totally the correct historical context. So uh, I've read Max Weber. Max Weber uh, is especially famous um, for his book uh, of Explanation of Capitalism, where he says that uh, the Protestant religion in Northern Europe uh, was an enormous boost for capitalism. And it has to do that in the Protestant religion, you're not uh, allowed to, to have a lot of uh, consumption. So the only possibility you have is to reinvest uh, the gains or, or the, the profits you have. So that's very in short um, uh, Max Weber's most important uh, work. But he also is the, is the inventor of, the, of this terminology of bureaucracy. And, and, and there the historical context is, to my point of view, not, yeah, not, not really uh, correct. Um, one has to understand that the book uh, about bureaucracy was written in 1920. And it's just, just after this, the First World War. And it was the end of the, of the, of the era of uh, Kaiser Emperor Wilhelm, who, who caused the, the First World War. And, 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 and bureaucracy was at that time something very positive. Because it 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 was a reaction on this old arist aristocracy type of of uh, organizing a state where where let's say people were just given jobs to uh, people from the aristocracy, and then Max Weber tries to um, uh, create a new kind of modern type of state where he uh, splits the person from from the profession. Um, it's it's based on rules and not on on doing somebody a favor. It's 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 about neutrality neutrality of this of this whole organization. It's about radical transparency. It's about writing down those rules in 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 so that you have kind of security and you know okay what are the rules. Um, and it's about uh, specialization. So let's say in this historical context, it was much better. Than, than, than this, uh, uh, let's say, state-based or built uh, uh, type of organization where, where this aristocracy just rules and they gave each other the jobs, etc. So, but what you often have is it's the same with Taylorism, that at, at, at the starting point of the industrialization, it made sense to put people in a line and, and, and split the tasks. And then for the next phase, uh, where 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 we have complex problems and a lot of people have to interact with each other on on different topics all the time, there this this old way of of producing cars in the factory is something totally different. So it's on a timeline. It's just a different phase uh, we are in. So I just wanted to defend Max Weber. He doesn't live anymore. So, but I still think uh, this is in place. And then where they are totally right is that if you build bureaucracies, that in the end it doesn't make sense what you just uh, what you just sense, uh, said, and it is a kind of dehumanizing uh, our uh, yeah our let's say our people who uh, and it's that Daniel Pink who don't have autonomy and they don't have the possibility of developing themselves mastery and also sense of purpose etc. So uh, that's perhaps as a starting point just to 
to to show where this bureaucracy um, topic comes from. Yes, that's right. And um, yeah, it's able to, it, in some ways bureaucracy is is designed to solve a problem that doesn't really exist in the same way, right? You know, um, you know these these problems of patronage and nepotism that existed in aristocratic times um, don't exist so much. And Although what's interesting is that in bureaucracy, as he describes, those those problems resurface, right? Because yeah. uh, you know a lot of one's ability to extract resources from the organisation comes from your ability, your political skill, and your ability to yeah. influence those in positions of power, and your ability to gain positional power yourself. Um, so, in some ways, we could argue that bureaucracy today actually enable some of those behaviors that it initially you know, tried to eliminate from from society and what 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 makes it even more interesting is that and later on in the book he talks about the power of meritocracy that's exactly the thing i just tried to explain so just take one example if you have foreign services an example all those ambassadors sitting around the world for a long time in a lot of countries an aristocracy uh, uh, aristocratical background uh, uh, was an enormous positive aspect. Uh, so, 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 in 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 this foreign office, etc., there were a lot of people uh, that 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 was not meritocracy. So you didn't have a chance to to be uh, the ambassador in China uh, with uh, with a working class background, etc. So, so just take one example. So bureaucracy where things become much clearer and there are rules, et cetera, et cetera. Also, our whole development of the ed- educational system, that still could be better. But um, uh, that's, that it's, a kind of, it's a kind of emancipation of the, of the organization of the state to, to, to positive, positively frame uh, bureaucracy. Right. Yeah. At, yes, at, that, exactly. time, at that time. At that time. Um, but now he, he goes... Um, deep into the costs um, uh, of bureaucracy, uh, and exactly, and, and, and in detail talks about how it stifles innovation, um, and he, and he talks about there's this wonderful line in the book where he talks about it, it encourages all of the wrong behaviours, right, and uh, yeah. and how the the, the, the people he decides that, that for example the research that shows that overconfident people are perceived by their peers as being more conf- you know more competent. Uh, than those who are less confident. So it tends to be the braggards and the highly confident extroverts yep. who, who rise up through the system. Uh, and, you know, he sort of makes the point there's a scientific basis for, for why the bullshitters are, uh, get to the top. Um, yep. and, uh, and that is one of the problems with bureaucracy where you get, you get these positional power structures. It becomes those types of individuals who um, succeed and not necessarily those with the best ideas. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's a whole, uh, let's say, chapter where he uh, tries to, to um, let's say, to count the cost of uh, of um, uh, bureaucracy, uh, and then and then the conclusion is you should um, you should try to avoid it because it's very expensive and it doesn't bring a lot of positive uh, effects to uh, society. And then and then he dives into um, the practical examples. And I think it makes perhaps sense to uh, to take Nucor uh, as an example, and then higher, and then uh, perhaps Birdsorg, just just to explain more in a practical way 
how how uh, this works. So I don't know if you do you want to say something about Nucor, what it is and what they do. Yeah, so he talks about Nucor. So they're a, a steel um, yeah, uh, man. Well, they're a steel processor, aren't they? They take in scrap steel um, and then they turned it into fin- into finished steel products. Um, and they are yeah a an example of a very large uh, industrial company um, that's put an awful lot of you know authority. Uh, into the hands of those at the front line. Um, it's created a very entrepreneurial environment. Um, it's uh, very high levels of accountability. And this I see as, a, as, a, as an ongoing pattern, right, in all of these success stories about where you distribute autonomy, uh, is that you do it in conjunction with, distribute, with distributing accountability, right? Uh, yeah, autonomy without accountability is just a vacation. And, uh, and Nucor is a great example of that, right? You know, if, if, if you're not hitting, you know, there's, there's high expectations of what these delegated units uh, perform, the levels that they perform at, and if, if they're not met, um, yeah, the leadership is swapped out. And, you know, there are mechanisms within these units to, to change things up. Um, but on the flip side, all of these employees share the rewards um, of their entrepreneurial efforts. Uh, and I think he was saying that nets out about 25%. So the average worker gets 25, paid 25% more um, in Nucor versus the rest of the sector. And Nucor as a whole uh, has a low cost base and um, is more successful than its competitors, uh, despite the fact that they pay all of their people better. So it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a good story. And one that I hadn't come across before either. It's an uh, it's an example which also is uh, used in some other books. I'm I'm not I'm not quite sure if it's also Jim Collins or something like this. Uh, but in other books, they often uh, taken as an example. It also could be uh, Innovator's Dilemma of Clayton Christensen uh, because they have these small uh, mills. So they have not one big mill. Now they have this kind of called mini wheel uh, mills. And there's also a picture in the book. Uh, in my book, it's on 72. Still making making process at a mini mill, which is interesting. Yeah. So they're much more. It's it's something we see also at higher afterwards. Um, but I I wanted to, I wanted to to take one one uh, also one one um, uh, topic, uh, which I find in the American context very interesting. It's uh, job security. So it's on uh, seventy eight in the book. Uh, Nucor has never la- laid off uh, employees at its steel mills. A remarkable fit in an industry that shed 40% of its employees between 2000 and 2018. And, and then there is this classical, I would say, continental European approach. When orders plummet, the company reduces the work week, not the workforce. So in an American context, and I mean, they are stocklisted, that, that they have this, 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 I would still call it very continental European attitude. Uh, and that's, and that's, to my point of view, in this American context, an enormous important point to make. So you have a, one of the most difficult industries, steel, everybody knows this. It's shrinking every year and they do exactly the opposite. They're not laying off all the time when something goes wrong. No, they do exactly the opposite. And, and then there is also the link to, um, for instance, few status symbols, etc. But, but what you see... I love, is, I love that story about how the, some of their uh, rival steel processes the CEO would get would get a gold plate a gold plated helmet, right? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. But w- what they also do is refer to uh, to to efficiency. So they are the most efficient uh, company in this industry, and it has to do with the fact which we know from kaizen, uh, the Japanese uh, way of working, 
that you have to give trust and you have to secure the jobs because otherwise people will not come with a lot of examples for high efficiency because they, they are risking their own jobs. So if you say, no, we can do this much more efficiently, then your colleagues say, hey, what are you doing? Uh, do you want to lose your job? And that's something which, so this combination of, on the one hand, giving trust and giving job security is very important to be able to be very agile and more efficient. And, 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 and the Americans often take it, they, they don't take this together. So they, they say, we want to be much more efficient, uh, uh, but we're not giving you job security, but I still want to have a lot of um, uh, proposals to, um, or ideas to, to get more efficient, but that doesn't work on the work floor. Yeah, and he says in, in, yeah, in 2008, uh, the only loss-making year, uh, the CEO can, didn't even consider uh, laying people off, right? Yeah. Uh, didn't even, it wasn't even an option. You know, that says something about the culture. And you're so right about this, you know, this need. Like I, I saw an article by the, the, the chief, chief executive of, um, of BT, British Telecom in the UK, and he was lauding the fact that he'd managed to make so many cost savings. He said, through our, you know, through our lean cost-saving initiative, We've shed 25% um, of jobs in this particular, and I, of this particular area. And I wanted to scream at this article, like, that's yeah. not what leads about, right? You have not done lead. Yeah. If, you, if, the process, if your lead process is a result of you firing 25% of people in yeah. this particular area, you've not been doing lean because you cannot, that's not how it works. Like yeah. Joshua Kirievsky, who's come on the show and he's got this approach called Modern Agile. You know, his, his number, his prerequisite he talks about, prerequisite before you could do any of the agile practices is, is psychological safety, right? You've got to, people have got to feel safe yeah. um, to take risks and experiment. It's, it's so important. Um, and it's, yeah, it's very comparable also with Southwest Airlines, which is always a company which is in a lot yeah. of books mentioned. Um, but perhaps to, 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 to my last remark to, um, uh, to Nucor, um, uh, they have this the same cross training and multiple skilled uh, workforce. So what you also see yeah, at South So yeah. people don't say, no, no, I'm not. I'm that's not my job to do this or that. But the, let's say the captain of the airplane also takes out the rubbish when that's necessary to do so. So it also has to do something with stay humble. And then and then the last the last words of this chapter uh, is. Uh, at Nucor, they say we don't build steel; we build people, which is yeah. for steel, which is for a steel company, a really uh, a statement. So, so I, I think it's a very, very interesting um, uh, chapter to uh, to start with. And um, I would propose perhaps you say something about uh, hire, or I also can do uh, so because that's the second very, very interesting example. And I don't know how many people are familiar with. Hire, although uh, it's a huge company, uh, but if you're not in this organizational uh, design topic, it's very good possible that you've never heard of the company. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll let you talk about how. I just want to throw in one example, which not is not actually in this uh, book, but I love uh, from Farvi, which is a French manufacturer yeah. of yeah. Um, automotive parts, and uh, that that point about mixing job roles being a big part of this new movement, this new paradigm, whatever we want to call it. Um, I think it's brilliantly exemplified where they talk about these guys who would beat steel on the production line uh, mm -hmm. and they would, they would drop their steel beating to get on the phone to JP Morgan brokers to spot buy the metal they needed for the factory, right? <laughs> so, so they're switching between, you know, beating down a JP Morgan trader on price with, uh, with, with hammering out steel sheets. And that 
just illustrates you know that the, the human potential that's in all of us, right? We we we've got all of these skills uh, there available, and you know when organizations organize around that to yeah. optimize that to maximize for that, that's when that's when we get the breakthroughs. Yeah. So yeah, go go, okay. go ahead because I know you've had yeah. some connections with Haya. Yeah. So I do um I do a very short introduction on on Haya. Haya is a market leader in um, white goods um, refrigerators. Uh, I think they also bought um, the refrigerators of GE in the US. Um, uh, more than hundred thousand people, so really 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 big company. Uh, it was built by uh, Ran Juyin. I think he is. Uh, I don't know if I, if I uh, or if I pronounce him correctly. Um, but they have become very well known, and they work together with um, with Gary Hamel and uh, Michel Zanini uh, on 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 this whole idea of avoiding bureaucracy in a in a in a large scale context. And and the word which they which they use is micro enterprise. Uh, this is the American or the English um, uh, word for that. And and what he more or less did is that he just split up this huge company in a lot of small companies. I don't know, three or four thousand or something like that. Uh, and and he tries to bring entrepreneurship in into those small companies. So it's 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 even a little bit like kind of private equity conglomerate, um, where people also have the possibility of of um, let's say starting something. And it says, let's say, from employees to owners. I think it's a little bit more complicated because it really depends on what you're doing. But there's enormous entrepreneurial spirit in this organization. Uh, they grow uh, very fast. But the interesting thing is that what 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 I uh, liked liked a lot is that you would expect if you if you listen to the CEO Zhang of um, of uh, Hire that he would let's say frame. Chinese philosophers, etc., and really go into Chinese history, etc. No, he, he didn't, and he's also quoted here uh, by uh, in this book by Zanini, uh, but it's also on YouTube. And then suddenly he starts talking about Immanuel Kant, uh, which I'm a, a huge fan of. Immanuel Kant is a golden rule uh, or a cathedral uh, imperative: uh, uh, treat other people like you want it to be treated yourself. And he reframes to to Immanuel Kant. So this whole idea that you have to treat others like you want to be treated yourself, and he's an entrepreneur, and then others also are allowed to uh, to bring in, in their entrepreneurial skills, which I find very interesting. But I know from other talks that Zhang is also a big fan of von Moltke, the German general, which, uh, which uh, has become famous for self-organization. So it's very interesting to see these cultural bridges between different cultural parts of the world where he, uh, yeah, where this uh, human-focused uh, philosophy is just is just uh, taken, but it also could be um, we have we have had the book talk about Smalls Beautiful, mm. where Schumacher takes the Buddhist uh, economy and it's a kind of duty not not to maximize your profits but to give everybody a job, which is also I mean that's exactly the other the other way around. So I like this kind of cross uh, cultural bridges. And just searching for for stuff, and and in the end, it's all the same. You try to humanize uh, our way of working together in, in 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 business, so to say. Right, and I think there's something here. You know, it's the S word, the, the dreaded the, the spiritual world, right? There's the spirituality word, right? It's like there's something here about you know, however we conceptualize it, recognizing the divine, right? Recognizing that yeah. um, that specialness that's in each of 
uh, in each human being and, and our connectedness to, to each other that sort of underlies this. And Kant had a kind of, um, there was a spiritual aspect, right, to his writings, you know, that there was, there was a, a sense in which he believed in, the, in a, you know, a non-material realm, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that's, um, you know, so though, though they don't, it's not brought out explicitly in this book, it's, uh, you know, I, certainly the way I view it is that that's part, a thread running through this. And what is, and what is interesting is that this whole human approach uh, uh, has much better outcomes. So let's say the Americans... Uh, frame it that way to say if you want to really be in this list and Forbes and have this kind of market capitalization, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, uh, so th this is another way of framing. So the starting point is not less to try to be more friendly to each other, or try to be more human. We don't care about what the outcome is. Now they say, okay, just have a look. They are, have become market leader uh, by this human strategy. So it's not a it's not a contradiction, so to say, which I find. Uh, very useful because otherwise it would be do you want to make profits or do you want to be very human no that's not the question uh, you even have higher profits to be if you right. if, if, if your starting point is more is more human so there's no there's no argument uh, uh, or there's no reason uh, for not being or for not creating a human environment right and and we you know and this to me touches on you know one of the later chapters in the book that the power of paradox right like how could it be true that we could treat our staff better we could pay them better we could invest yeah. more in them and we could make more profits of like how could that be true right and it's yeah th this idea of playing with paradox how could we have both <laughs> yeah right it's an important question you know when, it, when, when seemingly that would not be possible like to stay with that question you know and see what emerges Perhaps, perhaps it makes sense because you also had a longer interview with Jost Block because I think that's the third or yeah, that's there are four examples. And you already said that um, and Nucor is an example. Higher, the Chinese company is an example. Then Buurtzorg, the Dutch uh, company is an example, and then Michelin, uh, the French tire uh, company is an example. Perhaps you can say something about Jost Block uh, because you interviewed him. Uh, I mean, I also know him, but um, then you could perhaps also refer. To this uh, very very interesting uh, podcast, and you also put a lot of uh, sneak uh, previews uh, on 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 LinkedIn because it, the the guy is uh, I like him a lot. He speaks in a very uh, you can't say simple language, but he he makes complicated things very simple, and 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 that's why it's so powerful to listen uh, to him. Um, but it's also a very dominant example in the in the book, I think. Yes, well, I think this comes through in his example. It comes through in the the other example here is um, Handelsbanken, uh, yeah. which which is mentioned. Um, but it's this idea of like, see, in the Handelsbanken example, that he uses this phrase, or the this, the CEO sort of initiated their their transition to a um, democratized or a delegated business model was the branch is the bank the branch is the bank the branch is the bank so we we look at these units these autonomous units as being like the organization in and of itself so it's like it's taking this sort of fractal idea right that we 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 create the image of the organization in these units and that's exactly what Josta Block has done with Bird Talk right the, these nursing teams are fully functional units in and of themselves just like it high right the, you know the, the, the micro yep. enterprises 
Um, and I think that idea, and this came through, um, this, the example isn't mentioned in the book, but, um, the, the British company, um, uh, uh, Julian Wilson, Matt Black Systems, uh, where they go, they take it to the to the ultimate extreme, where each individual is conceived as a mini enterprise within the business. Um, but that seems to be a repeated pattern, uh, and yeah, and that's something that uh, that Bert's Hawk Dogs uh, does. And and what you end up with is in in Handel's Bank and in the um, in the case of Bert's Hawk, I'm sure the nursing teams themselves have higher costs per like per unit, like per yeah, team, yeah, or in the right. bank, the branch has higher costs per branch. But all of the savings you make on eliminating all of those centralized functions, A, so you just don't have that overhead, plus the fact that those units become much more efficient because they're, they're, they're making decisions much closer to the, to the need. And Joster Block describes that as the needing principle, right? That, yeah. uh, that you end up with a much lower cost base overall. Yeah. yeah. But perhaps there's a good link uh, from Bircher to um, this first principle, uh, this third part of the book, the principles of human democracy. Uh, so what's, what's the DNA of a human-centric organization? And the first uh, chapter, which is chapter six in the book, is about principles over practices. So it's very much based on, so if you have a principle-oriented structure, it's about values, more or less, then, then you don't need a lot of bureaucracy because everybody knows what is right and wrong. And, and, and if you didn't just see the numbers of Beersorg, they, I don't know, 14,000 14, people w really working, doing the job. And then they have 50 people at the head office or something like that. Yeah, and and, yeah, and, and you... two people in the board. So, and there are some coaches, et cetera. Uh, so it's very, very, very flat, so to say. But, but everybody is more or less working and doing the right stuff immediately for, for the end customer or the end consumer, et cetera. And th there's not a, a huge vertical uh, uh, tower where a lot of people telling each other what to do. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, let's dive off quickly into Vizzy. Yeah. So for those who are not aware, you know, you're the lead link for, for Vizzy, a mortgage I'm advisory not, I'm company. Not, I'm not anymore. I'm not anymore. Oh, you've just given that up, right? Yeah, yeah so since you're... the 1st of January. So rotating leadership. Okay, so you're the former. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupt, absolutely. <laughs> so try, try, try to avoid this. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, tell me, like, what's the size of your company and how many central, like, people do you have? People in central functions, which is interesting. Um, okay. We do Morris Advice, a uh, very small company, 50 people. Half of it uh, are direct client advisors. Then a quarter uh, is a credit department. So they are also working together with the advisors. And then we try to keep this classical staff uh, as small as possible. And that's what we, what we do by, we call a distribution of, of uh, power or uh, responsibilities. So to, to take just one example, if you talk about hiring, uh, the people in the teams themselves, they decide uh, who they want to hire. Uh, and they onboard, et cetera, et cetera. So if people are really interested in this, because this, this, uh, this is about uh, humorocracy and not about physics, but if you're interested in it, we can just put um, the video, which was just, just made or released this week by Corporate Rebels. Uh, and it gives you a very good overview uh, about 10 principles to avoid bureaucracy. And the funny thing is, uh, I just realized that 
I wrote an article, uh, Less is More, which, which is really fits well. Uh, uh, it's about avoiding bureaucracy. And I wrote this article after I held this talk at the higher uh, conference. I just, I just realized um, that there everything comes together. So if people want to know if you have a small company and you, you think it could be possible to scale this company afterwards, try to install a lot of things in advance to avoid bureaucracy. And one thing is, for instance, if you talk about principles, we have only one rule, the golden rule, eh, Kant, uh, also higher has the same uh, rule, and we don't have any handbooks. That doesn't mean that we haven't rules because if you are active in this financial space, there are rules from regulation and certain certificates you need before you are able to advise, etc. But internally, we don't have handbooks. So we say, okay, just act uh, by, by realizing uh, how you want to be treated. So that means that the advisor has the total freedom to act as if he or she would be the client and think, okay, what if I would sit on the other side of the table, what, I, what would I like uh, to, uh, to have for a kind of service or how would I like to be treated? And that means that if you just give this autonomy, um, uh, the client satisfaction is huge. So we're number one in client satisfaction by putting our people first and the client second. Right, right. Uh, same of Handel's Bank and same with Handel. Bert's talk. Yeah, incredible yeah. you know, satisfaction stats for, for the nursing teams in Bert's talk. So, yeah. Handel's Bank just released uh, this week or last week their figures. They're doing uh, extremely well. It's, 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 they have exactly the same, uh, the same way of operating. Uh, Bert's talk has. It's all, all, it's all, and these are the same examples all the time. So we're just, we're just one of those, uh, of those companies who who give the autonomy uh, to um, to the people eh? and the principles. Um, uh, also, what we just called before, uh, multiple skills. So it's always about culture and not higher, higher for culture, not for skills. So also people moving from one team to another. So somebody, for instance, moved from the client service department into what you would call classical HR department. And people say, yeah, but this person hasn't studied HR. Etc. No, culture is much more important because the way we onboard or the way we hire is totally different than than a classical company does. Yeah, yeah, no, um, that make, that that's yeah, that's a running thread, right? Yeah, moving people around. But again, it comes back to like res- respecting and uh, sort of embracing, celebrating. The, the, the human the human in each of us right that yep. that huge potential that we have to to learn anything to get passionate about anything to adapt to our situation you know that's what we uh you know we're, we're endowed with that as these you know special creatures and um yeah it's important to acknowledge that and when we do we get we get extraordinary results what what perhaps would be interesting also is to uh, to take another example for instance the power of openness Yes. Uh, which, which we call radical transparency, but which is also something you see again and again in in um, in, in these type of companies that to to give the people the 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 best um, let's say starting point for making decisions, everything has to be open by default. So so for for us, everything is open. Financial stuff doesn't matter what it is. The only thing which is and it's even open to the public or our organizational structure, everybody who's listening 
to the podcast can dive into our Glassrock holacracy type of organizational stuff. And they can Google me and they can see what kind of roles do I have, etc. Everything is totally open. And it creates an enormous speed because everybody can find everything. Uh, people, uh, stuff um, stays up to date. And then there is this link again with Sanini, who has studied um, at the um, Harvard uh, uh, Kennedy School of Government. Uh, in, 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 in the building states, it's exactly the same. So if you Google radical transparency, it comes from the English parliament where people started to write down the discussions in parliament because they said, okay, it, it should be open. And as citizens, we find it very normal that we, there is open access to the parliament. And I, I often take this as an example. In every citizen is able, let's say in our classical democracies, to go to the parliament and just sit on the bench and just follow the debate. Uh, but can I just go in uh, in a company to the board meeting and just say, okay, well, it was like, I'm interested uh, because I'm working here. I would just listen what you are what you are discussing. In, in the state, in the parliament, you can do this. So for instance, what did we do? Everybody can enter any meeting. So if somebody has the impression I'm not hurt or it doesn't work, this whole system, I just go in. And, and we just discussed a few minutes before the podcast, uh, Rai Dalio of Bridgewater. That's perhaps also interesting if you want to add something on that. That is also very, very radical uh, in, in his uh, way of, um, of sharing uh, yeah, everything in the company, so to say. Yeah. Well, part of that was somewhat terrifying, right? Because they've got this, this app where after every yeah. meeting, someone can rate you. So yeah. I could come out of this podcast interview with you, Tom, and like rate yeah. you against like five different things. And this would become public to everyone else in the company. What, how I rated, you would see how I rated. And then people build up, they sort of have this, this score that follows them around, right? And, um, and what it, but you know, I can see the power of it then as a resource because it, it, it then uh, becomes a factor when they're making decisions, right? If they're, if they're looking to predict the way a certain market's going, going they will put extra weight on those who've been rated by others as being like particularly good in that area, right? Being particularly believable, yeah. say. So uh, I found that, you know, they've really taken it to another level in terms of uh, be, but being transparent. So, so really what they're doing is they're recording people's yeah. thoughts about each other and making that yeah, they're, public. But the, the, main, the main thing is that to record all the meetings. So, yeah, they also so, so let's say if you talk about, I mean, they, they are pretty extreme. Uh, uh, we agree on that. But, but if you just take the opposite, that in a lot of companies, uh, you are not allowed to know what's going on. You don't know the financial data. You don't know the salaries of people. Uh, you don't know how processes are, why is somebody elected, why not, etc. cetera. So it's, it is a lot of secrecy about it. And if you this compares with the state, then the state is much more liberal uh, than, than a lot of companies. So uh, this is something which I find very interesting. And it doesn't mean that you have to do this kind of uh, crossover ratings all the time. What do you think of Richard and what does Richard think of Tom, etc.? But But there probably is a lot of gray in between. Uh, but 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 if you just ask uh, people in in classical uh, hierarchical companies, they they often don't know the financial figures, they don't know the salaries, etc. And and it creates enormous secrecy. And 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 especially if you want to have better decisions, it makes sense to know uh, more what is going on in the company. 
Yeah, and he dives into why, like, like, okay, so that sounds great in and of itself, but like, why is that important? And uh, for example, he brings up open strategy, yeah. and like the problem at the moment we have in hierarchical organisations that we invest the decision making power in like three or four people at the top, let's say, or you know, a, a, a handful of people, uh, and expect them to be able to make the best judgments. And he uses plenty of examples of of why that's not true. And we also know from Daniel Kahneman's research that. Shows yeah. Um, there's not a good correlation between CEO performance and company performance. Um, so yeah, he uses open strategy, right? So you create these platforms where you effectively tap the collective intelligence of the organization. Um, you various systems in different organizations where, uh, you allow the people within your organization to rate different ideas, to make different, you know, to, to make levels of financial commitment to different ideas. And so all the resource allocation uh, is done uh, through a process of harnessing collective intelligence, which uh, I think is an important aspect of openness. It's not just like make the data open. It's also like open up decision making yeah. to, to the whole organization. And then when he talks about hire, uh, they take it a step further because they go outside of the bounds of the organization. And one of the rules there, as I understood it, was they don't fund uh, ideas within hire from these micro enterprises with internal cash until those individuals have got some level of outside investment um, before they'll go ahead with them. So they're they're pushing right out beyond the the boundary of the organization even. Yeah, yeah, that's very correct. What I also wanted to to add is, uh, because you already mentioned the power of paradox, which is uh, chapter 13, um, because there is again a uh, comparison with uh, the way we, we act in, in states or in our democracies. And he says, embrace the conflict. So, mm. so uh, what you often see is that uh, um, uh, the debates, uh, especially in, let's say, in the English culture, the classical debate or the debating societies, it's an enormous respect for each other, but that's, that's totally split from 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 the debates and and that means for instance that you also change your your position and 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 uh, once let's say in one time you have to be in favor of something and then you have to be against this or if you study law for instance so so to see the debates and i mean conflict is a kind of negative word but so i i prefer the word debates but it's very important for your whole decision making process not only to see the outcome but to think about the quality of your decision-making. And debating is seen as something in our society which is positive. So we we don't say we want to have a dictator who decides for us. No, we say, no, we are a civilist society. Let's debate on this in parliament. And we we choose those people. In companies, we often do something different. Then somebody says, no, no, I'm I'm the boss. I decide this because I'm totally experienced, etc. And they don't use this collective intelligence, which is also part of the book, eh? power of community, et cetera, et cetera, empower people who are much nearer to the client, et cetera. So that's something which I uh, find, find uh, very, very, uh, very interesting. Yeah. And then, and then a related thing, which I really liked was he, you know, he took apart the, this idea of the ambidextrous organization, right? So that's, that's yeah. the idea that the way that we foster organization is we create these skunk works or um, these special 
subcultures within an organization that given more freedom and uh, that's the ideas factory, right? And he, he smashes that idea and says, no, the most, ex- the most uh, successful companies, that the whole company is the ideas factory. The whole company is the R&D department. Uh, and you're empowering everyone and especially those at the front line to come up with new ideas and to give them mechanisms to get those ideas off the ground, get them funded, and which yep. doesn't require them going through a hierarchy, which doesn't require them to have political skill and influence um, to navigate uh, you know, all of the boards and investment committees that, that uh, are predominant in most organizations. Uh, and that's how, they, you know, how these very innovative com- com- companies um, are so successful. Yeah, just perhaps to take another um, simple example about uh, transparency is the travel policy of Netflix. Hmm. So uh, that you say, okay, just act in the in the best interest of Netflix because everybody knows from big corporations this enormous travel policies, and nobody likes to uh, to send this stuff then afterwards to this kind of a department which is doing nothing else than checking all those travel expenses all the time. Um, uh, but but by just saying act in the best interest of Netflix, but still put it online that you can see from each other it took somebody a five star hotel where it was not uh, necessary, etc. Uh, solves this uh, solves this problem. So this transparency is a very good efficient uh, mechanism to um, to 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 uh, create uh, less bureaucracy. But it's the same for the state. If we exactly would know which political parties are funded by whom with which amount of money, uh, then, then, then it would also be much more in- interesting or simple to see what's, what's going on and what kind of processes are, are going uh, on. So um, that's something where they also talk, um, uh, talk about if you talk about tests, etc. Yeah, it's, it's like prudence emerges uh, as a product of transparency not as a product of compulsion right yeah. and that that's a framing he uses elsewhere where he says uh, uh, coordination emerges as a product of collaboration not compulsion right so again it's like and, and trust is key to this right if we if we trust and we're transparent um, then the organize we we can have the organization self-organize um uh, around whether it's like making judicious use of travel budgets or or, or um, avoiding duplication or you know whatever I think this is maybe a key point here like whatever goal you can envisage for for any organization there is a route by which it can be achieved through bureaucracy and there is a route by which it can be achieved through humanocracy mm-hmm. and uh perhaps in all areas where there's any level of complexity, um, you're more likely to get a good result through humanocracy. Yeah, that's right. Do you want to say uh, something perhaps uh, as, a, as a final part uh, about the last uh, part of the, of the book? Because I think that's very much your domain because it's about, uh, for instance, Greta Thunberg and... Uh, let's say, positive activism to change the world? Yeah, what I, what I liked it here was um, he talks about, he's got this wonderful line here. Uh, I'm Carl and I'm a recovering bureaucrat, right? 
And he's got this little inventory and he's inspired by AA, you know, the 12-step movement, make a fearless moral inventory of yourself. And like all of the dysfunction that we're forced to engage in um, as individuals, if we want to get on in a, bureau, in a bureaucracy, like did I, uh, you know, sandbag a budget? Did I, uh, or, or a set of goals? Or did I exaggerate the business case for a, for, for a budget? Did I undermine a rival? Um, did I play it safe? Right. All of these behaviors that we're forced to engage with, there is a kind of unwinding that people need to do, right? Because this is in the context of the, the last part of the book where he's talking about like getting started. There is a kind of an unwinding process, right? Which is like accepting and letting go of all of the nonsense that we engage in in bureaucracies. Like it, yep. it, it's almost like that's another form of radical transparency or openness. Just be open. Like we're, we're all doing this. It doesn't work. We know, but it, all of the, this process of transformation has to start with yep. being honest with ourselves um, in terms of how we behave and the consequences of that. Um, and then from there we can build, right? From there we can start to ask ourselves, you know, what, what worldview? And he, he had this, this, uh, these three lenses, which I, I like, like paradigm, principles, practice, like what's the new paradigm you want to create? And out of that, like what's the worldview we, we want to adopt here? And out of that, what principles would we then live by if we were acting according yeah. to that worldview? And then, and then lastly, isn't the point you made earlier, what practices might we start to experiment with? And the experimentation is a key word. He devotes a chapter to that. Um, do we want to start experimenting with low-cost experiments that we can test out and evolve and uh, amplify if they do well? Yep. Uh, and then he, he, he coins this, you know, hacking management, right, as a way to think about um, testing out new practices is design hacks, create a hypothesis, test it out, yep. uh, low cost, and, and that being the kind of engine of transformation. Um, so there's revolution and evolution, which I liked. I really like the way he says it's not like it's not one or the other. It is it's revolutionary. So it's revolutionary yep. in terms of our aspirations. What is this radical new worldview? What do we now, what daring possibilities do we now entertain? That's radical, um, but it's evolutionary um, because the way we get there is through iterative experimentation of new practices. Um, uh, yeah, and then he, he also talks about rethinking leadership. Leadership isn't just, you know, uh, leadership development courses for the, for the board. It's, uh, it's leadership all the way through. And how do we um, create the environment? And this is something you talk about a lot, right? Yep. How do you design the organization so that it, it leadership yep. is, it will, will emerge as a natural consequence of the way you've organized, uh, designed your organization? Which, and, I, and I totally buy that. And each individual has to do their own work, right? To accommodate yep. that, that new yep. uh, paradigm. Perhaps um, I, would, I would like to end my part by um, just uh, taking uh, from this uh, last uh, part Rethinking leadership, it says, if the decision of a leader is someone who catalyzes positive change, then every organization needs all the leaders it can get. And, and right. at Visi, we call this no bosses, everybody leader. Right. And that's where it's all about. So in the end, and that's a topic for another podcast then, it's about getting from managers eh, who manage, manage comes from manage eh, of, uh, of the horses, uh, mm. to to leading, uh, leading about principles and creating a more humane uh, society or a more humane business environment so everybody can flourish, so to say.
Touche. No, great way to end it. Um, so we'll we'll put the link up uh, to the book, uh, to the article you mentioned. Less is more. Um, yeah. To the video that you mentioned from Corporate Rebels, which talks a bit more about Vizzy for those interested in in Tom's organisation. Um, and you also talked about the the famous article that Gary had written about bureaucracy. Yeah. So we'll put, we'll put a link to that as well. Uh, and the other interviews I've done with some of the examples uh, of organisations cited here, I've done an all. Uh, an interview with Richard Wonder from the um, Burt's Hall, from sorry, Handel's Bank and, yep. uh, and also Yost Block from uh, from Burt's Hall. Fabulous. Great. All right. Well, thank great. you very much, Tom. Another wonderful conversation. Another great book. Uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you again for the, for the next pick. Thank you very much, Richard. Nice talking about this book with you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of You Should Read This with Me, Richard Atherton, and my fantastic co-host. Tom van der Luba. If any of the material in this show resonated with you, if you're thinking perhaps how could I take these ideas and apply them in my own leadership or, or take them forward into my own organization, then I would love to have a conversation with you about that. If that feels like that could be a valuable use of your time, then please do click on the Calendly link in the description for this episode. And that will allow you to book a slot directly into my calendar. And I hope to speak to you soon.